Thank you for joining us for this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. And now let's join our guest speaker. I just, God is so good, so awesome. Um, even when we don't deserve it, he's yet still good to us. Um, so we're continuing the series about God's heart. And so um, today we're going to talk about God's heart, truth, and consequences. And uh, we're going to be looking at the life of David, a little portion of David's life. And um, yes, yeah, so we're going to do that. But first, I want to uh, any students who are starting school this week. I know we prayed last week, but anyone, any college students here? Any? We got a few hands. All right. We're starting. You're going to be out in these COVID streets. Um, we want to pray for you again this week as well. Um, so let's pray for our students um, and educators and all of those who are going to be um, going back to school this week. Lord, we just thank you uh, for your healing power, Lord God, and your power to cover them with the blood of Jesus. Uh, we just thank you for keeping each student, each teacher, each administrator, uh, however they're going back to school, whether it be online or whether they're part-time in the classroom or or part-time uh, online, Lord God, we just pray that you will cover them and keep them, um, bless them, Lord God, protect them, protect all the students at the various colleges in the area and all those who are going back to uh, preschool and kindergarten and elementary and middle, all of the above, Lord God. We just pray your protection that heads around them, Lord God, and uh, that nothing will come nigh them and that you will keep them in perfect peace, Lord God. We pray that they look to you, Lord God, the author and finisher of our faith, Lord God, to keep them and cover them as they go to and fro. fro. We just thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, we want to continue to cover you guys um, in prayer. Um, you know, this is ebb and flow. It's the rise and fall. We feel like we're coming out of it. And then I, I see on the news that there's another spike in the area. And so uh, we just want to continue to pray for all of you. Uh, and I pray that you would keep others in prayer as well as you go about your week. Um, so, yeah, so when we talk about God's heart, truth and consequences, we're going to be Looking at John eight thirty one and 32, um, it says, To the Jews who believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, uh, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And I think in the King James Version, or the, uh, it says, if you abide in my word, Jesus says to those Jews who believe, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So we've talked about uh, God's heart, truth. We've been talking about God's heart the past few weeks. Uh, and I know the last time I spoke, I submitted that obedience is at the core foundation of God's heart. He wants us to be obedient to him. Uh, we looked at Saul, and we looked at uh, Acts 13, 22, and 20, 23, and then also 1 Samuel 13, 13 through 14, where it says, um, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. So there it is, he says, in, in his obedience, uh, he will do everything I want him to do. For this man's descendants, uh, God had brought to Israel 
the Savior Jesus as he promised. Um, and we also spoke about the spirit of truth being the Holy Spirit that has come in to reveal truth. We looked at John 14 and John 16, uh, chapters 14 and, and chapter 16, uh, particularly in John chapter 14, 16 through 18, where it talks about the spirit of truth, uh, where it says, uh, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth the world cannot accept. Um, and then it says in John 16 and 13, but, he, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Um, so when we look at truth and consequences, and so when I was doing a study, I realized, now I'm not old enough to have seen this show, um, <laughs> <laughs> but there is a uh, uh, game show that was called uh, Truth or Consequences. Yes. All right. Some of you are old enough to remember that. Uh, I was not. Um, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and I think I can't remember the guy's name who was the original host. It actually started out as a radio show, I think, in the 40s. Um, but Bob Barker was actually the host as well. And what they would do is um, they would ask your question, and you had to say truth or consequences. And they only gave you two. I watched some YouTube videos of it. It's quite interesting and entertaining. And they only gave you like two seconds to answer the question, which means you really didn't have a chance to answer the question because they wanted you to do whatever crazy thing they had for you to do. And um, there were some times where they would surprise you with a family member that you hadn't seen in a while or somebody who was in the military who, who you hadn't seen, and they would surprise you with that. And so that would, that would be your consequence. And Bob Barker would end the show saying, hoping all of your consequences are going to be happy ones. Right? Do you remember? You guys remember that? Some of you? All right. Yeah, I don't. But I saw it. <laughs> Thank God for YouTube. Um, <laughs> so the truth of that phrase is that it implies that not all of our consequences are going to be happy. So Bob Barker was in a little prophetic in that. Uh, also, it seems like truth and consequences doesn't necessarily go together. You know, it's more like truth and faults or consequences, actions and consequences, right? Those are, those are the things because you have to do an action or something to get a consequence. And truth, the opposite of truth is false. Because um, the meaning of truth is uh, truth is in accordance with fact or reality. And consequences are the result or effect of an action or condition. But they are related in that uh, if you ignore truth, there will be consequences. And the reality about truth is that it never changes. Truth is truth um, today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, 100 years from now. Truth is truth. It does not change. So we're going to look at the life of David. We're going to look at some truth in David's life and some consequences. Uh, or a result of him not obeying that truth. So let's look at Second Samuel uh, chapter twelve. We're going to start at verse one, but I'm going to uh, actually start at eleven, the last two verses of chapter eleven, uh, twenty-six, twenty-seven, and then we're going to go to chapter twelve. Um, the last two verses in, in chapter Second Samuel chapter eleven says, "When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him." After the time of mourning was over, David had brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So that's how we end chapter 11. So we all know the story of David and how he saw Bathsheba. He was 
Smith would have been out doing uh, war, fighting with his men, but he was on top of his roof. He saw Bathsheba. He wanted her. Uh, he tried to have Uriah killed. Uh, go to ba- well, tried to have Uriah sleep with uh, Bathsheba so she can he could pretend that the child that she was going to have was his. But Uriah was faithful to uh, his men in battle and did not sleep with his wife, and so he eventually had Uriah killed by putting him on the front line of the battle in the heat of the battle, and he. He was killed. And so we pick up in 2 Samuel 12. And I think at this point, a year has passed from when uh, he, Uriah has passed and Bathsheba has had her son. And we're at 2 Samuel 12. And it says, The Lord sent Nathan to David. Uh, Nathan is the prophet at that time. And when he had came to him, he said, She's given him a parable. So he uses something like what Jesus would use. Nathan says, I'm sure Nathan told with how he was going to present this to the king because he didn't want to upset the king and have him like off with your head or anything. So he said, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from the cup and even slept with his uh, with his arms i don't know if i would sleep with the lamb i'm just saying <laughs> it's a close pet uh it was like a daughter to him there it is it was like his little kid literally <laughs> now a traveler came to the rich man but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him instead he took the ewe lamb from the that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him and then david verse five it says david burned with anger against the man and said to nathan as surely as the lord lives the man who did this must die he must pay for the lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity then nathan said to david you are the man this is what the lord the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. You, I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all you and if all that had not had been too little, I would have given you more. This is what God is saying, man. You know, David could have had it all. And then verse 9 just says, why do you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in your eyes? He despised, means contempt, disdain, the word of the Lord. And I looked at that, you know, when you say the word of the Lord, you know, I, think, I thought about John 1, where it talks about in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was, uh, was with God and the word was God. Was he despising God by despising his word? And, you know, I, I think sometimes we don't realize that when we are disobedient to the word, what we are really saying is that we don't like you, God. We don't trust you, God. We don't like your input in our lives. We know better. I think there's a lot of pride. Uh, verse 11, it says, this is what the Lord says out of your own household. I am going to bring calamity on you before your very eyes. I will take 
your wives and give them to one who is close to you, and he will sleep with the wives in broad daylight. You did it in secret, but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. You know, <laughs> and we're not even to the meat of it, but it just reminds me how quickly if you repent, God forgives you. Even in that moment, you know, David is like, I sinned against God. And he said, but the Lord has, you know, it's not taken, he has taken away your sin. You're not going to die because of this. Isn't it just like God? Even when we have done something so egregious in his sight, he is so willing to forgive us. And so quickly he does that. But because by doing this, you have shown utter contempt for the Lord, your son born to you will die. So that is the consequence. He is he was forgiven, but he still there were still consequences to his actions. And God will forgive us, but they will still possibly be consequences for our actions. And so, and David writes in reaction to this, uh, David writes Psalms 51. And my title of Psalms 51 says, for the director of music, a song of David, the prophet Nathan came to him. And after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. So he writes Psalms 51. So we're going to turn there. We're going to go through that. And then we're going to look at. I think six things that we can glean from um, David and looking at God's heart. Verse, truth versus consequences. Psalms 51 is to read, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassions. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And David says in verse three, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Uh, so you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And we want to talk about this later, but I just want to we'll just key into that verse three and four. Uh, let's go down to seven it says cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Uh, verse 17 says, uh, verse 16 says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. God, you will not despise. So David repented. He wrote a whole song about it. <laughs> um, so what, what can we learn from what David experience was? First, so there are six things I want you to take note of. One is that we can assume God does not judge our sins because we, we can't assume that God does not judge our sins because we are redeemed. That is not true. The truth is that God can judge our sins even as we are Christians. And we have to live with the consequences of that sin. We can't have a casual relationship with sin and think, that we can keep doing that thing and it's going to be okay because 
God is going to forgive me, right? His grace, right? Does this grace that God is dispensing? Because even Paul talks about that. You can't keep sinning and think that that's okay. No. So we can't assume that God will not judge our sin. Because he will. Number two, uh, when we violate God's commandments, we are despising God's word and doing evil in God's eye. That's verse nine. When we violate God's commands, we are despising God's word and doing evil in God's eye. And like I submitted before, if if God is the word, are we saying that we despise him when we don't follow his commandments? Does that make sense? Number three, uh, David's earthly consequences was that the sword would never depart from his house. And so Nathan's words are true in that if you read the story of David, his, there was some crazy stuff going on in his house. And I won't go into the details of all of that. Uh, but God's word is true. If he said it, you should believe it. Not if I said it, but if he said it, <laughs> you should believe it. So God's word is true. That's the third thing. Uh, the fourth thing, this is what David's, uh, this is what set David apart. His immediate admission of guilt without excuse or justification. Um, he immediately says, I have sinned against God. And he immediately, God immediately forgave him for his sin. And this restores him into right relationship with God, but does not remove his earthly consequences. So your admission of guilt without excuse or justification uh, does not remove earthly consequences. And let's go back to um, Psalms 51 where it says four. It says, you know, so David realized that he was wrong. And in his being wrong, he accepted the verdict of God. He didn't whine about it and say, it's so unfair that you would uh, let my son die because of my sin. He accepted that judgment because in verse four it says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. That's serious because he could have been bitter. He could have been upset about that. He could have complained about that. And so many times when God knows we, when we've known we have done wrong and we realize that God has forgiven us, um, but we're still upset of the consequences that we have to live with. And sometimes we're angry with God because of those consequences. And we don't say, you're justified, God, and give me this consequence because I did wrong. A lot of times we're mope and moan and complain about the consequence. So like, like a teenage teenager, my daughter's right there. Um, <laughs> but when they do wrong, you know, they may accept the fact that they did wrong, but they don't like to live out the consequences. Uh, the no TV, I'm taking your phone, or whatever the, whatever the consequence is, they may be up more upset about the consequences than the actual thing that they did wrong. And so many times, that's what happens with us. We're more upset about the consequences that we have to live with versus being more contrite about the thing that I did wrong against God. But this is important because this is what restores or begins to restore us in right relationship with God. 
Psalms 51, 3, 4, 10, 12, 17. David makes no excuse for his sins and admits that he has offended God first and foremost. He has no resentment about his punishment, saying God is right to punish him. He asks for purity of heart and restoration in his relationship with the Lord. So the truth is that God, of God's heart, because we're talking about God's heart, the truth is that we, that God's heart is about us. He has us in mind at every turn. And his heart is always thinking about us. First Corinthians 1 Corinthians 1.9 said, God is faithful who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. It is, so his de- it is so his desire for us to be in right relationship with him. That is why that even in the face of our sin, he is so quick to forgive us because he wants us to so be in relationship with him. He can't hold a grudge because he wants you to know him. Because he realizes that knowing him will set you free. Knowing him is the truth. Knowing him, you will know your true identity and who you are. So just like a parent, you know, your kids can do some crazy things sometimes, right? Right? Sometimes. Sometimes. Not you guys' kids, but other kids can do some crazy things. But as a parent, you're so wanting to write the relationship because you know you don't want this to linger on. You don't want this to carry on to be a year or two year thing. You want it to, you're so ready to move on from it because you love your kids. How much more does God love us? And so many times we're beating ourselves up because sometimes maybe in two or three different schools, but we're so upset about what we did that we beat ourselves up and God has forgiven us and we're still six months beating ourselves up about something we did. A year beating ourselves up about something we did. And God has said, I forgave you um, the day you asked for forgiveness <laughs> and I moved on, but you're still beating that dead horse and you're still talking about that. Let's move on. Or we're more upset about the consequences that came after that. And so less about the forgiveness that he's given us and more about griping about now I got this, you know, whatever issue. I'm stuck with this beat up car and I didn't listen to the Lord when you told me not to buy it. And now I got a car that doesn't work. And so now I got to pay for this and that. And you complain on and on and on. And the Lord said, if you had listened to me the first time, you know, it happens, right? I'm, I'm the only one that it happens to. Maybe. <laughs> when we complain about the consequence of the issue versus saying I should have, I, I have to accept the consequence because I didn't listen. I didn't obey. I didn't follow your truth. Uh, God's main desire in his heart is you. He desires the closest possible fellowship and intimacy with you. For you to be the one with him and in complete unity with him. He wants to give you life, give your life great meaning and purpose and value by giving you the privilege of having a partnership with him in his kingdom and do his work and mission in the earth. You are God's first love. You are God's first love. The God of the universe loves you. He was thinking of you when he created the universe. He was thinking of you when he created this world. He was thinking of you when he created the animals. He was thinking of you when the fall happened. He was thinking of you when his son was going to be 
crucified on the cross and he was thinking of you at every turn. You are his first love. His heart is for you. Another way of saying it is you are God's treasure. You are more valuable, more precious, more important to God than anything else he created. Now God wants you, wants you to have him be your treasure. God wants to be important in your life. God wants you to have him be the first love, the first thing you think of when you wake up in the morning, the last thing you think of when you rest your head at night, and every time, in be- every moment in between. Because he wants so much to be in intimate relationship with you because he knows he is the answer that you need. And it is our pride and our selfishness and our own issues that get in the way of that. God deserves to be our first love, our treasure, our passion. He is worthy of this because of what Jesus has done for us by sacrificing everything for us on the cross. We ought to love him first with all our heart, all our mind, all our strength, and all our soul. That is what he desires. Because David sincerely repents, David restores his close walk with the Lord. This is the sixth thing. Because he sincerely repents, David restores his close walk with the Lord, and the Lord continues to honor him as a standard of godliness. So before we finish there, because we're at the end, let me go back. So the first thing uh, we we learn from David is that uh, it is false to assume that God does not judge our sin because we are redeemed. Because that's not true. He does judge our sin. Uh, When we violate God's commandments, we are despising God's word. And we're doing evil in his eyes. That's the second thing. Uh, the third thing is David's earthly consequences were true. They happened. Uh, read verses, I mean, chapters 13 and 14 um, in Samuel. You'll see a lot that went on in David's family that was not good. Uh, the third, uh, the fourth thing is that uh, David. His immediate admission of guilt without excuse or justification. And this led to uh, five, that David makes no excuse for his sins and admits he was offend- he offended God first and foremost. And he has no resentment about his punishment, saying that God was right to punish him. And then the sixth thing is that the Lord continues to honor him as a standard of godliness. And so if we look at 1 Kings 15... Uh, one through five, uh, and it says, uh, in the 18th year of the reign of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Abijah became king of Judah. He reigned in Jerusalem three years. His mother's name was Machai, daughter of Abishalom. He committed all the sins his father had done before him. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his forefather had been. Nevertheless, for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem by raising up a son to succeed him and by making, a, making Jerusalem strong. For David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep any of the Lord's commandments all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah the Hittite. So David learned from that one mistake. And so many times we, we, we tend to color David's life with just that, right? 
We know David as the person who had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and they had a child. And that's what that's what colors our full picture of David. But obviously that was just the one thing that David did in his entire life. And the Lord still counted it as godliness towards him because that was the standard. He said he was godly. He says David had done what was right in the eyes of the Lord and had not failed to keep the Lord's commandments all the days of his life, except in this one case. I hope the Lord is able to say that to me, <laughs> except in this one case, that you're able to keep all the commandments. And so we can learn from David in that uh, if we repent, if we turn from the wrong that we've done, and we can look at uh, Psalms 51 as a song of repentance and say, look, I know I've done wrong. Put in me a new heart. Put it, create in me a clean heart, O God, and, and look at me and don't judge me because of this thing that I've done. And obviously the Lord granted that for David. And he can do the same for us. Right? We do not have to be uh, bound by our sins anymore uh, we do not have we don't have to beat ourselves out up by what we've done in the past or who, what someone thinks we have done but God has forgiven us and we are free to move on and we pray that just as David the Lord counted him as a godly person and did not use that one thing that he did against him that the Lord would count all that you do as godly as we move and turn away from that if we really have a, a contrite heart and we really Plead to the Lord to put in me a new heart. He so desires that because the heart of the matter is you. He wants you to be in right relationship with him. So God's heart, truth and consequences is the truth is he wants to be in right relationship with you. Consequences will come good and bad. Some of them you will not like. Some of them will be fine. We'll count it as blessings. But nevertheless, the truth is he wants to be in right relationship with you. And so whatever the consequence is, let us count it as, Lord, you're justified because I did wrong. And I'm moving on from this. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church. We are located in Lynchburg, Virginia at 525 Old Graves Mill Road. You can find us online at cornerstonelynchburg.com, contact us by email, cornerstonecom at comcast.net, or call us at 434-847-4796. We pray the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.